Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Diner Talks with James. I'm James. Super excited to be here with you. Thank you so much for coming in. I decided to wear a purple shirt because your boy stays on brand out here. Uh, Really excited to have you. We got a really amazing guest. Her name is Christina. I'm going to introduce you to you in just a little bit. Uh, But first, y'all, it's Diner Talks with James. We got to start the show off right with tonight's top three Top three. Let's get it going right now, my friends. As always, if you have something that you would like me to rank in my top three, top three, put it in the comments, my friends. Let's talk about it. First off, I went to Trader Joe's yesterday. Here are three things I immediately regretted buying. All right. Number one, a whole bag of Brazilian cheese bread balls, a.k.a. Ponda Queijo. My friends, I need more things stuffed with cheese in my life. Like I need more things stuffed with cheese in my life. They're delicious. All right, next, a huge box of fruity gummies. Not like not like one of the guilty pleasure packets of like Swedish fish. No, I'm talking like a tub o gummy. I didn't need that. I didn't need that, y'all. And last but not least, I also bought an extremely large trough of Trader Joe's dark chocolate peanut butter cups have you ever had these peanut butter cups from trader joe's y'all they're a problem why did i do that to myself up next christina parl is from kansas city kansas in general in the area and so uh i love kansas city one of my favorite towns in the country i think one of the most underrated cities in our fine country here um and particularly i love kansas city for the stereotypical reason of barbecue y'all I go hard with barbecue. Last week, I told you that when I first went to school down south coming from New York, that I just thought barbecue was a couple of men standing around a grill flipping burgers and insulting the people around them because that's what barbecue was in my household. But (laughs) what I've since learned is that barbecue involves a sexy smoker and some slow cooking and some fatty meat, y'all. AKA my brand. Here we go. My top three favorite barbecue places in Kansas City that you need to try. First off, Jack Stack. Get the beef rib. It's worth your time. Next, this one's on the KC side. Not the KC. This is on the Kansas side of KC. It's called Slaps Barbecue. Some of the best ribs I've ever had. It's a hole in the wall joint. AKA it's amazing. We know that the best restaurants in the country are the ones that look like they're falling over. The only thing that's holding them up is grandma's love and fat. So, And last but not least, the best, my favorite barbecue spot in Kansas City is Q39. I'm telling the burn ends. Slap your mama good, my friends. Slap your mama good. Last but not least, top three, top three. Three things that are annoying that I do that I really need to stop doing and finally get it together. You know I like a long title. All right, first off, I need to start opening mail when I get it. It turns out bills don't pay themselves if they just stay in a pile. Anyway, my credit score is finally back. But number two, uh, I need to uh, I need to start clipping my toenails more. Y'all, I'm 6'4". It's a long way down there. 
It's just like a long, it's a long distance. Okay. I'm, I don't want to go down there. All right, fine. I'll do it more. My socks will thank me. All right. Last but not least, I bite the shit out of every pen I ever come in contact with. Can you see this? Is this going to focus up? I don't even know if it's going to focus. It's probably not because I'm too handsome, but I bite the crap. This is one of those, this is one of those pens that's supposed to have like the little stylus on the end of it. I just bit the stylus off. Why can't I have nice things? I have a buddy of mine named Mike who carries around a Mont Blanc, Mont Mont Blanc, as you can tell, I'm French, a Mont Blanc pen cost me about $2,000, which is absurd. I couldn't buy it because that would be a $2,000 snack. My friends, I got to grow up. That's tonight's top three, top three. If y'all ready for tonight's guest, let me hear you say something. And by hear you say something, I mean, let me hear the deafening silence of the internet. There it is. Great. All right, friends. Tonight's guest is Christina Parle. That's Christina. Don't you dare call me Parlay Parle, okay? Uh, I successfully have been her friend for a number of years, uh, and I learned how to say her name about three months ago because my friendship with her matters. So uh, I'm super excited to have her on the show. She is a language enthusiast. What does that mean? Don't know. We're going to talk to her about it, but I'm excited about it. It seems intriguing. Uh, but also, she is just a badass woman. She works in higher education, developing young minds, getting them to think the right things, uh, and making sure that individuals are having conversations that matter, that are putting the movements at the forefront that are happening in this country so that change can actually happen. She's an exceptional woman. She's also a phenomenal speaker, but she just got started. And I'm pumped to talk to her about what does it feel like to start a brand new business? My friends, can you do me a favor? Can you clap it out right now for the one, the only Christina Parle? Oh my gosh, this has been an amazing uh, listening to the beginning of your thing. And you're talking about barbecue and I didn't know you were going to talk about barbecue. Well, so. you know, you got you got to you got to throw some surprises in here now. <laughs> now, are you born and raised in Kansas or in Missouri or in KC? What's going on? The town's confusing. Yeah, great question. <laughs> so, Kansas City, Kansas, sorry to those who I'm going to offend is not is not where it's at. Oof. So, I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, um and lived in the city for about 7 years and then mm -hmm. moved to the burbs. Um, and then I live here again. So I just bought a house in Kansas City about a year ago. So, Look at you. Yeah. You're grown. I, grown up. Grown <laughs> up. Uh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Kansas, the Kansas side of, uh, of, of KC really gets no love, even though that's yeah. the only state in the actual name. Um, <laughs> that's the only love it gets. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's fair. I'll actually agree with you. Pretty much. 95% of the cool things are happening on the Missouri side. Yeah. Um, so shout out to Missouri for that reason. Are you a barbecue person, Christina? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So when you started talking about it, I was like, he better not say something wrong or I'm going <laughs> to hang up. <laughs> okay. How, do, how did I do? How did I do? I mean, yeah, you didn't get like my tough ones, but okay. It was better than some of the other options that you could have said. Well, so. I'm, you know, I'm nothing if I'm not a six. You know what I mean? Like I'm out here a solid six is what I shoot for every day out of yeah. ten. Uh, yeah. What is, what's your top? What are your top barbecue spots in case? So, in KC? 
Rosedale's is my favorite barbecue Rosedale's. place. Okay. Is, there's one singular one. It's down on um, Southwest Boulevard or Traffic Way. I might be messing that up. That's but cool. it nice. is a little hole in the wall, kind of. Um, mm -hmm. Been there since 1934. Um, and it is my favorite place. Look, I see the people in the comments. The people who know me are like, <laughs> don't, don't mess this up, Christina. Um, <laughs> but that's my favorite place. I also love a place called LC's. But mm -hmm. then I have to agree with you, like Jack Stacks, Q39, those are probably tied for third. Yeah. And here's the thing. You probably haven't, based on a previous comment, you probably haven't been to Slaps because it's on the Kansas side. So I see it. I see <laughs> it and I drive by it. But maybe I'll stop now that you've said what you've said about it. I mean, I'm just, the, the ribs are the ribs are uh, are worth a pit stop. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say. Um, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear. Now, most people think barbecue is about the sides. I can kind of agree with that. The sides mm -hmm. are the jump. But what are your favorite sides when it comes to barbecue? Are you are you mac and cheese in it? Are you getting some collards? Are you doing like what are you beans with with brisket in it? What's your move? Yeah. Baked beans for sure. Yep. It's a typical move. Fries or mac and cheese, but not everybody really does mac and cheese well. No, they so do I, not. Yeah, I tend to shy away from it. Some green beans, collard greens are good, but mm -hmm. baked beans are definitely like a go-to yep. yep. staple. I've been known to double bean myself. I've been known to I've been known to bake bean and green beans okay. sometimes. <laughs> I really just put green on my plate when I travel to make my mom happy. Right. So <laughs> appropriate. Very appropriate. I love it. Friend, I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, you and I have shared a number of late night meals when I have called you the day I flew into Kansas City and said, Hey, what are you doing in seven hours? I'm free. Just clear your schedule, please. Yeah. With no prior warning. But thank you for always doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like, and it's funny because we've shared, shared a couple of meals in different cities when I've lived in different places. So it's mm -hmm. always been dope to connect. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We got some people like coleslaw and baked beans together. I don't know if I'd fly with that, but I respect Martha. I respect that you got something that you like. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, Christina, this is a super exciting time for you yeah. um, because you are kind of at the precipice of a new business adventure. Can you can you tell tell us a little bit about what you're cooking? What you're cooking? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Um, well, James, you're probably like the second person that I told in 2016, like, hey, I think I want to do this. I think I want to speak. I think I want to consult. Um, and at the time, that was really all about language and the impact of language. Um, I literally just talked to my homegirl this morning about like, hey, remember the time like in 2016 when I walked you through this language program that I didn't do for the first time until 2020. Mm -hmm. um, so it really started all around that. And I think that's where um, the concept of diversity, equity, and inclusion really grew from for me. And so DEI work is uh, what I'm doing, speaking, consulting, developing curriculum, um, and working typically with uh, nonprofit organizations, fraternities, sororities, but also like those kinds of organizations adjacent. Um, and so really whoever is willing to listen, but I think what's particularly important and why I care so much about language is I believe a lot of times we like to jump to diversity, equity, and inclusion concepts that are high, complex, uh, cultural appropriation, all of these kind of big complex um, issues. And we don't know anything about identity. 
We don't know anything about the concepts of power and privilege. We, we haven't done that foundational work. Our houses are literally falling down all over because it, nobody built the foundation for them. And so the way I approach diversity, equity, and inclusion work is from a foundational standpoint. So yeah, that's what yeah. I'm doing. That's amazing. That's amazing. We're going to dive into uh, the what of what you were doing um, in just a little bit, because that uh, that certainly deserves time, and I and I want to talk to you about it. Um, but I'm curious to see right now what what do you think? You said you had this idea in 2016, mm-hmm. and how many times have we all had an idea? We're like, ah, it'd be cool if I did the thing, or I or you see somebody doing it, like I could probably do that, um, or whatnot. And so, but not as many people. Not as many people go from, I got an idea to I'm doing the idea. Mm -hmm. What do you think sparked that action in you? Like, where did you find that? Let's call it grit, right? Uh, uh, Or something like that to actually get it done and, and, and put yourself out there. Well, it took me four years. Uh, So it probably took a little bit longer than it should have. Um, Honestly, and James, you know this probably better than most. Uh, I was in my first job out of grad school for 365 days. Um, and then <laughs> no I more, was, no less. <laughs> yeah, no more, no less. Um, and then I was in my second job for about a year and a half, uh, both for leaving for personal reasons and like my mental health and trying to be great. And that space yeah. wasn't going to allow me to be great. Um, and so it felt like there were a lot of roadblocks. Like I just, it was never going to come to fruition because I couldn't, I kept doing the like, well, when I get stable, when I get settled, when I get into a place, I can really like make it happen. Um, But it was still something that I constantly talked about and constantly did all of the time, you know, helping people think about language and correcting their language and doing all those kinds of things. Um, And it wasn't until AFLV, the Association for Fraternal Leadership and Values came around, I felt a little bit more settled and I was like, well, I guess I should just submit a proposal because if they accept me, then I have to do it. Um, so, Everybody yeah. loves the deadline. Literally. So I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I submitted and thankfully I was accepted. Um, and I went and I did the program and it happened. And I think it's not so much about like the grit piece as this topic was going to continue to be a part of who I was and what I cared about, regardless of if I was going to get to do it in front of people. Um, And so it was still like a piece of my everyday life. And so it just always felt natural um, to do that. And I think I've known for a little while that that's, I want to be an educator and I want to do it in that way. And so, yeah, that's kind of where it came from for me. That's awesome. Uh, that's that's so cool that you were just like you know what screw it here we go uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it I'm gonna put it out there that this yeah. is something that I think other people need to hear uh, and uh, and and I think they need to hear it from me um, right. which is such a beautiful moment because that is a really easy place for us to talk ourselves out of it. And it's mm-hmm. like the, well, why me? Right. Like yeah. what have, what have I done that is special? I don't have a, I don't have three letters behind my name. I don't have a yeah. doctorate. I don't have, you know, uh, many leather bound books. I don't have like, like all these accolades of years of experience or tenure or whatever. Um, yeah. But having the courage to say, no, I think the way that I teach this matters. Mm-hmm. And I think I can teach it in a way. And this is what's so great about you is that, yeah. 
like you mentioned, you teach things in a very foundational approach. And so you're kind of what a term that I learned recently that I've also been called in this in the diversity equity space is you're kind of a, an on ramper, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're exceptional at making people uh, get onto the highway and into just getting them into the party. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So much of what is happening this year in particular, uh, in particular, there's so many people that's like, we need to start the conversation. No, we got to start the conversation. No, we know the conversation has been happening for quite some time, um, but welcome to the conversation, uh, right? You need to start your role in the conversation. And that is something that you are so good at doing. Um, and uh, and you do it in this amazing challenge and support, classic higher education type of way, because you don't take any bullshit, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, but at the same time you allow grace for learning mm-hmm. and that's such a delicate tightrope, right? Mm-hmm. We know all we need to do is look on Facebook for five minutes to see 800 examples of people who don't know how to walk that line, yeah. right? Like every single Facebook comment thread is people yelling at each other and calling each other names or canceling cancel culture is not working. Right. Like, yeah. uh, and so, um, but for you, you have found that that delicacy matters in the way that you approach it. Yep. Would you say that that was something that you learned to do? Is that something you've always kind of done or you, or did you kind of, did you, did you step in it first and then be like, okay, the, clearly that's not going to work. Like what, what happened with you? Well, likely my mother is on. And so she would be laughing at this question. She probably is. Um, when I, went to grad school, I started to have a lot of um, identity development happening really fast, like really accelerated, um, partially because I went to Penn State. And that was, uh, yeah, Penn State, Uh, (laughs) partially because I went there and there was stuff happening there that like I just didn't experience before in my life. And so a lot, but yep, see, Marianne Pearl, that's her. Um, So when I was in grad school, I was having this accelerated identity experience. And then from there, it became um, uh, like an arms race to like figure everything out and learn all the things that I could. And then when I left grad school, I think I had learned so much that I had forgotten who I was before and where I came from and um, all of the really ignorant and uh, shitty stuff that I had known and believed throughout my life. And so I fought a lot with people. Um, and I think I learned that that has gotten me nowhere. Um, and I did a lot of that fighting with my mom and with family and with friends and people that I cared about. And it just wasn't particularly successful. And so, uh, I probably fought that fight for a good two years. Um, And then I think I started to learn how to talk to people um, and how to have conversations with people. And I started to pick up on the fact that um, telling people, lecturing people, monologuing people is not how it works. Uh, That probably also was learned because I worked in student conduct um, where you can't just sit around and force people to get it. You've got to engage them in conversation and dialogue to help them understand and to help them want to change their behavior. Um, And so now when I teach, I always say, don't give them all the answers. Um, Mm. Ask questions that put the ball back in their court to 
do the unlearning about the problematic, harmful thing that they've done or said. Um, so I think, yeah, I spent a lot of time pissing people off and yeah, pissed yeah. off, right? Um, so yeah, I think yeah. that's where I've gotten to now. Let's dig. I mean, when in doubt, uh, poke the bear. So tell me more about that anger. Like what, what sparked that anger? Was that something that were you, were you angry prior to schooling? Like you kind of mentioned a lot of that stuff came up in schooling. Were you angry growing up as well at, at some of the atrocities that you were seeing around you? Um, or like when, when did you first, uh, I guess, when did your eyes open up and be like, hang on a second, this isn't right. And I don't think I feel good about it. Was there, yeah. was there a moment that where that happened? And it doesn't matter when it happened. I'm just curious if it did. Well, so it's kind of twofold. I think the anger that I was experiencing was because I didn't understand why other people didn't get it. Mm. But that came from such a place of privilege yeah. because not everybody got to sit in the same classroom that I was able to sit in for two years to hear the stories, to dialogue, to have, you know, the experiences that I got to have for two years that I was very privileged to have. Um, and so I think I was more pissed off that people didn't get it, not thinking about like, Christina, <laughs> you just got to have this really like bubble-like experience. Yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, I, I graduated college and that summer Michael Brown died. Mm. Um, and so... I had a lot of falling outs with people in my life um, because of Michael Brown's death um, and people not understanding why it was so egregious. Um, and so I walked in to Penn State on fire. <laughs> um, really, I'm here. Really, yeah, I was ready to go. And so I think I just carried that fire with me. Um, you know, I, I, one of my mentees, started a higher ed program. And I said to her, I said, what is most important to me is that you make it through that stage of development where you're angry and where mm -hmm. all you can see is this identity and why it pisses you off and why you're so mad. Um, because we all go through that. I think as you go through developing your own identity, particularly marginalized identities, your eyes are open to how ugly this world is in a lot of ways and you're just, you're just angry. Um, and so I, I asked my mentee, I said, please, please, please come out of that place um, because we've got to have people who are, uh, have the knowledge to be able to help others grow. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that. I, and I think what you just said is so powerful about that idea of like, I hope that you get through the angry phase mm -hmm. um, because teaching true teaching is on the other side of anger right uh we cannot teach if we are super angry um it's just like you know we can't uh we can't love if we're super hurt uh we can't like there's so many so many major emotions that you have to be able to name and uh and and work through and sit in the fire um before you can get to the other side to be able to talk um and uh and that was that was really beautifully put um, so, so let's back up a little bit, even a little bit further. Now, um, it's fun because you and I are both biracial. I'm white and more white. Um, and, uh, 
Uh, no. Super, uh, super white. Super duper white. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not biracial uh, in any way. Stretch of them. I'm, I'm Irish and Italian, both very white. Um, so uh, um, but you are you identify uh, and, and you told me this on a call recently. You, you identify as black and biracial. Mm-hmm. Tell me tell me about that. Uh, the way that you identify. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, for sure. So um, in a world that calls people mixed, (laughs) I try to be really intentional about my language uh, Mm -hmm. and calling uh, myself biracial. So one, I I call myself black biracial simply because I think the world um, sees me as black in a lot of ways, especially since I've cut my hair whole nother conversation but um especially it looks since incredible I, though yes hair is fire <laughs> i literally i literally contemplated today i'm like should i go to the barber shop like no let's yeah. just walk it the way it is but can um, i have a quick moment of shame that i that i that i fully anticipate you judging me for and you should um when i first got to college my freshman year new yorker went to school in north carolina there was an ra in the apartments his name was phil and phil uh was of jewish descent um and he was also a huge stoner and so phil would walk around with this huge fro with a pick in it he was very white also Mm -hmm. um and uh and i was like yo that would be so cool to have a fro and so i went and bought a pick and like started to to work on it um but this this greasy italian hair wasn't was not ascending um and uh that's that's when i learned that people have different hair at the age of 18. okay sorry No. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I, uh, I think a lot of people aspire to have, uh, fro hair without actually understanding what it takes. I got lots of comments about (laughs) hair stuff, but, um, yeah. So I identify as black first because I think the world sees me as black. Right. And like Mm -hmm. I said, particularly since I cut my hair, I think that has increased. Um, and so, but I, I, of course identify as biracial because my mother is white and my biological father is black. Um, and so, that for me is so important to also capture. So for instance, Kamala Harris, right? um, Barack Obama, all being called black folks uh, in the media because that's, people think that's cool. Like, and it is, it's super dope. We're super excited. And also I hate that that biracial identity of theirs is being erased. Like most people don't even know that Kamala Harris is half South Asian, right? Her mother is Indian. Um, and so a lot of people erase uh, people's biracialness. That's not a word, but I'm making it. Um, and so I think that that is so important. Um, and I use biracial instead of mixed uh, because words matter. And mixed is really probably language that we use for like a drink or a dog yeah. um, being yeah. mixed breed or a mixed drink. And so Really, the concept is, is that uh, I am of two races. And so, you know, if I was of more, it would be multiracial, those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, that's why that's why I would say that. Yeah, for sure. So now so growing up, uh, growing up, you said that your uh, that your mother, you said your mother is white. Mm -hmm. Right. And your father is black. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, but growing up biracial i i can imagine because uh, i can't do anything else uh, i can imagine it's got it like there had to be times where you were also like like i can you probably got asked a lot of inappropriate questions that weren't asked 
harmfully or with in, the intent of harm, but sure. like, did you get a lot of what are you's? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah, things yeah. like that. I mean, because uh, there's, I mean, there's also parts of your skin tone that uh, could very easily be uh, of of the Latinx descent, right? Or uh, or maybe even Persian, right? Like mm-hmm. I can see all of that um, within your beautiful skin. But uh, so that had to be an interesting thing for you. Did you experience some of that? Yeah, I mean, I think majority of my life, people have think, thought that I was Latinx, like mm-hmm. almost solely. Like last, actually, this January, I had an individual who was of um, Latin uh, speaking Spanish to me. And when I was like, oh, sorry, I don't speak Spanish, they were literally like, you're kidding. And I was like, <laughs> Why are you lying to me? I'm I'm not joking. Um, (laughs) And then, so my stepfather, who raised me, is actually uh, St. Lucian and Trinidadian. And when we went to St. Lucia, they thought I was St. Lucian. You know, I mean, I just, I've always experienced um, being all different types of things. Um, You know, you're so exotic, blah, blah, blah. Like, so really, like like you said, uh, unintentionally harmful uh, stuff, I think, the reason why I got so into language and I intentionally call myself an enthusiast instead of an expert, James, you know, I struggle with this complex of like, I don't have a doctorate. I didn't do a whole bunch of research. Um, (laughs) So I'm an enthusiast and that actually, I think for me comes from sitting in a class for my grad program and talking about asking people about their race and talking about how harmful it is to say, what are you? And one of my peers turning around to me and saying, okay, well then how do we ask? And in that moment, I was like, just say like, how do you identify racially or how do you racially identify? And for people to be like, oh yeah. And and in that moment, I'm like, whoa, like one, why haven't you thought about this? But then two, like you're listening to me. Like you heard me when I said that and like it made you think. And so then there was this level of like, well, maybe, maybe I could do this more, right? Like maybe I could help people understand why their language is problematic. And honestly, why language upholds some of the systems that we live in, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I talk a lot with uh, Panhellenic sorority women about calling each other girls or saying the future is female. Um, And uh, we talk about how problematic some of that stuff is. So I think, you know, that's so important to me um, and how you ask people and talk about those things for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you bring something really powerful up. Uh, You bring something really powerful up, which is right now in our country is a moment of learning for so many people, right? I've had some incredible conversations with my parents uh, and, uh, and, and brothers and even my nephews, like my, my 10 year old nephew, uh, Tina and I ran a, uh, we we ran a campaign and we raised a a bunch of money um, uh, for the black lives matter movement and and associated like the Loveland foundation, some other things and whatnot. But, um, but the coolest one that we got was from my nephew who's 12 years old. Um, and he said, I saw your story on Instagram and I thought it was terrible. What happened, what the police did to George Floyd. And I think it's, uh, what you're doing is really important. And so I want to donate my lawn mowing money from the week, uh, to your campaign. Um, and like, and it was just so sweet. Right. But like, what a moment to be learning. 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I, I've said on here before that I learned that I was white when I was 19, um, right? And I learned, or by that, I mean, I learned why it mattered that I was white when I was 19. Sure. Um, and so the fact that a 12-year-old, his brother is 10, is thinking about the world and what is happening and injustice 10 years before, right? That's, le- that's 10 years less unlearning that he has to do in order to right. relearn. And so it's really, it's really powerful what is happening right now in the country. And so, uh, but there are so many people, I myself have definitely fallen into this as well, um, where the fear of asking the question stops me from asking the question. The fear that the question could potentially be offensive is what makes me pause from time to time. And I've gotten a lot better at that. Um, and I've, I've also learned the art of the preface. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but still, um, you know, as you, t- as you go around and teach individuals, how do you teach them to get over that fear because the learning on the other side of the fear matters? Oh, it's such a good question. First and foremost, I think I tell people like, uh, if you're, why are you asking? Like answer that question first. Mm -hmm. If you're just asking because you're curious or it feels new and different and weird to you, right? Like when you look at me, if you're like, oh, I just really want to know what she is. Yeah. Maybe don't ask the question. Like maybe get to know me a little bit first Mm-hmm. And allow that to organically be a part of the conversation. But if you're just like, I want to dip in and dip out on, but I just want to know this yeah. one thing because I'm a little curious. I want to, I want to put you <laughs> into a box yeah. so it will make sense to my brain. Yeah. Maybe yeah. like save that question for later. Yeah, right. It's like, it's um, like the, the the cliche guy at the bar. So we go make out. Oh no! Nah. All right, cool. I'm gonna go over here then. All right, bye. Right, like, yeah. Yeah. All right, I just wanted that information. I'm gonna leave. Yes, yeah, so it's like one of the things of like, I mean, if if it's really only transactional, if it's really only standing uh, for you to gain something and really not much at all, um, maybe don't ask it. Uh, I tell people also to use their non-people resources first. <laughs> um, what can you find out elsewhere, or what can you find out from the humans that you know that maybe don't hold the identity of this other person um, first, right? Like what other resources can you tap into that maybe aren't this human? Um, but then the next thing is, is like, if you're going to ask it, be prepared for the backlash uh, and be prepared to apologize and to be better next time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, t- I teach people when you're talking about, when we're talking about apologizing, it should be quick to the point and move on. Um, don't burden the person that you just harmed with making you feel better. Uh, the person that says, oh, I'm just so sorry this happened to you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did this. I didn't mean it that way. Chill, right? Like <laughs> just say, I'm sorry, I'm gonna move on or I'm gonna commit to being better or whatever. I, I'll never forget misgendering um, someone actually quite recently, because we all step in it, we're all going to screw up. None of our, none of us are perfect when it comes to diversity, yeah. equity, inclusion. I love that phrase. We're all going to step in it. That's so yes. good, Christina. It's so yeah. important, you know, like, because here's the reality, right? Like I do this work day in, day out, have this conversation all the time. And I, I mess up all the time, right? Like, because these aren't skills that we've been taught since we were a kid. Yeah. This 
these aren't skills that are being modeled for us in other places. We are learning and unlearning so rapidly that our implicit bias, our brain is making shortcuts all over that mess us up, right? And so I was recently with a new human that I had met. And so I was new to them, right? They were new to me and they used they, them, there. And I kept using he, him, his, because my implicit bias looked at this person and thought they look masculine. And yeah. so my brain could not turn off that direct, like mental association that my brain was making. And so I finally just walked up there. Their, the tag of their uh, shirt was sticking out. I tucked it in and I said, I'm sorry uh, for using the wrong pronouns. And they were literally like, you're Gucci. And we just moved on. Right. Um, <laughs> and I didn't need to make a scene and I didn't need them to know how terribly sorry I was. Um, it didn't need to be about me in that moment, but they did need to know that I knew and recognized it mm -hmm. and was going to apologize for it. So yeah, I don't even know if that answered your original question because I kind of got off into a bunch of different tangents, but yeah. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I think, I think, I think what you just said was really powerful because the, the emotion of remorse is not one that we need to feel a lot. Like there, there are things that we can just simply feel sorry for and then keep it moving. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Hey, I said this little thing, but like a lot of us, especially when we know around sensitive topics and when we're, when we are in the process of recognizing that maybe we need to change or we have stepped in it to use your language. Um, right. Like uh, that, that's like this moment of like, I need to apologize and that it, mm -hmm. your apology turns into remorse and it, and then everybody's uncomfortable, right? Like uh, for example, in, in a very different uh, part of the world, um, I, I don't drink. I drink every once in a while. Like I can count the amount of glasses of alcohol that I've had this summer on probably on one hand. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, so I don't really drink it. So whenever, whenever people find out that I don't drink, um, it's a big deal to them. Like it's, it's just this unnecessary big deal, but that's fine, whatever. Um, but my least favorite drunk person is the apologizer mm -hmm. is the person who the whole time is just like, Oh my God, you probably think I'm a terrible person. You probably James don't judge me. And like, unfortunately, like that's just not the moment for me to be like, maybe you're projecting right now. Right. Yeah. Cause they're like drunk. And, uh, <laughs> but still, uh, but still it's that moment of there is a time where you apologize so much that I think you are apologizing more about how you want me to see you than Correct. that you haven't actually learned anything. Right. Correct. Like you're trying to back out of the situation but all I need you to do is have acknowledgement that the moment happened, adjust the behavior, right? Um, and, and whatnot. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I was just talking to, I was in a class and they were talking about what are things you can forgive and what are things that you can't forgive. And I talked about things that I can forgive is somebody doing something wrong and then changing their behavior. What I can't forgive is somebody doing something wrong and maybe apologizing for it and then just continuing to do it over and over again. It's like, you know, what is happening? And typically people who overly profusely apologize, probably going to do it again pretty quickly because yeah. like you said, it, they're more focused on what's in it for them and making them feel whole and better than about the harm that they've done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Would you rather, would you rather have somebody, apologize a whole bunch to you um, or 
stay kind of where they are in their decision, even if you don't agree with it. So which one's better? For example, for example, right. Um, Like Jerry Jones, famous owner of the Dallas Cowboys um, is uh, historically uh, a fairly racist man Um, and uh, not, not, not winning any medals for that. Um, So, uh, but still um, he is. uh, So in this time where the NFL and obviously all pros, all, all pro sports are really trying to be on the right side of history, football always lagging. Um, But uh, in hearing Jerry Jones talk, he is so careful with trying to walk this fine line between I don't want to piss all of my players off, but I also don't want to piss my base off, right? Like I don't want to piss all them off. And so he is walking this fine line where he says things like, I think the players have learned a lot in the off season. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, what did you learn anything? Right? Like, uh, and this is, this is straight out of uh, a show called PTI um, where he was called out for a similar thing. And, and so this is me just regurgitating some of that information from that show. But like, it was just that moment made me think about our conversation and like, which one's worse? Like at some point, at some point, if you are rocking, uh, if you're rocking your MAGA hat and you are out here doing it, and this is exactly what you believe, there is something to be said for clarity, right? And, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, even though I disagree with it personally, there's something to be said for it's like at least I know what I'm getting with, right? Like just look at like the way the country's handling the coronavirus, right? The way the country's handling the coronavirus is so ambiguous and no one can make any plans and everybody's pissed off versus if we just set something and just said, you know what? We're not doing shit until 2021. Lock it down. Everybody be like, okay, I can plan. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's something to be said for clarity, um, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who pisses me off more. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. I mean, gosh, Yes. If you're going to be a racist, I'd love to know that so I could stay away from it. Um, Yeah. So I absolutely agree that that's probably the better of the two for everyone involved. Um, So nobody's coming into, you know, coming into contact and being harmed. Um, I think the person who constantly says like, well, I didn't mean it that way. So, you know, I'm sorry that you feel that way is a pretty terrible person. Um, Because I think that they don't realize that, you know, their, their intent doesn't negate their impact, right? Like it doesn't, in uh, when I'm doing education, I don't say this, but your intentions don't mean shit, right? Like at the end of the day, <laughs> it's great that you didn't intend to hurt me. It, it, let me give you a great example. I was at, I was at the doctor's office. Nurse comes in. Um, nurse presents kind of femininely, right? So I'm just assuming things about her already because of my implicit bias. And she's like, um, do you, are, are you pregnant? And I was like, no, thank God. And in that moment, I thought to myself, oh gosh, Christina, like you should have thought before you said that, because who knows, this human might struggle with infertility. This person might have humans in their life who struggles with infertility. Um, and so I, I think the reality is, is that uh, some people don't care about that. They don't care about how something may impact or affect other people. And in that moment, I had to come to terms with, I didn't intend 
to like be hurtful, mm-hmm. but maybe I might have, I don't know. And, and I won't know because I didn't ask the human, right? Um, but the reality is, is I could have done some real harm there. Um, re-traumatizing people, all of those kinds of things because I don't want kids, right? Like, And so we have to create a space where all humans can exist um, and understand again that our n- intent is, is a big part of what's going on, but it, it's never as big as the way it lands on somebody else. And that's to be clear why our words are so important because words are not retractable. Mm -hmm. Once they are out there, they are out there (laughs) and you don't get to decide how they make others feel. A lot of people will say, um, well, words only matter if you give them power. Like, come on, we don't get to determine power for other people because we were all raised different. We have all had different lives. Like we can't, we can't, say that about others so yeah i mean i think that's incredibly important i think that is incredibly powerful and beautiful with how you just said it um i think that uh um, I mean, this quote right here, right? Your intent will never negate your impact uh, is so important for people to remember. Um, and it's something that I definitely, I know that I have, uh, I've struggled with because mm-hmm. I, I, I have a, my Achilles heel is that I want people to like me. Right. And that's just something that's like, I just, I want to be a likable guy. I don't want to know that I, I caused hurt or I caused harm or, or anything like that. I think that's one of the things that when I th- went through a, uh, my divorce uh, a handful of years ago, the hardest part f- of it for me was knowing that I had the capability of hurting somebody that much. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that was the worst. That was the worst thing. Um, and, uh, and and so uh, obviously it was never my intention <laughs> or any any of that kind of stuff. Um, but coming back to this quote is super powerful that your intent will never negate your impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. Let's do a segment. Why not? The segment of this show that we're going to do is called things that you didn't know about me that you didn't know you wanted to. Please note the name of this segment changes every time I do the show. Christina, what we're going to do is we are going to share some random facts about us. Uh, And uh, so just some random things about you. I can go first. Um, Mm -hmm. As always, role model the way. Um, Uh, what can I say? I'm a great man, but, uh, no. So I'll go first and I'm curious to learn some random things about you, my friend. Let's jump in. Okay. So fun fact about me. I used to collect collections. What that means is that I used to pride myself on how many collections I had. None of the collections were worth anything or meant anything, but there was at one point in my life where I collected, business cards now i was in middle school no business collecting business cards business cards uh those those flyers from hotels of like local attractions bookmarks stickers keychains baseball cards basketball cards ren and stimpy magazines comics uh and stuffed animals and probably some others okay all for the sake of collecting uh collecting collections and postcards, okay. so postcards as well. Okay. I mean, that seems a little bit more traditional. <laughs> yep, for sure. Yeah. Oh, there we go. That one saved me. Perfect. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> you slid that in right at the end. Um, okay, I'll go on the same, you know, uh, avenue that you're going here. I do collect still uh, movie stuff mm. tickets when I go and see a movie. 
Um, and so it really is upsetting when myself or others buy them electronically. It doesn't really work so much for the collecting business. Um, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so where, where do you keep these movie stubs? Do you have an intent of doing anything with them? Okay. Hold on. I'm going to show you. Yes. Okay. Right over here mm-hmm. in one of these little corners is a little wicker basket and I keep all of my movie stubs in there. I've probably moved some of them because there's so many. I think the oldest one that I remember having is from 2004. Wow. What movie was that? Unclear at this time. Great. It's faded. <laughs> yeah, it, that has since left my brain and I'm not sure. <laughs> Great. Clearly the best movie you've ever seen. 100%. Um, <laughs> uh, I love that. Do you have a favorite movie or a, favorite, or a couple of movies? Oh gosh. Okay. Depends on the genre, but usually I would say, remember the Titans, but now Mm. that they have made Hamilton right into a visual, it's definitely a, definitely a second, but the fascinating thing about both of those things is that I don't like Disney and both of those movies were created by Disney. And so when people want to talk about Disney, those are the things that I want to talk about. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that. I love that. Scott brings up a really good point here. I can't stand that most like concerts you go to, you no longer get the ticket stubs and stuff like that. Correct. Um, right. And like I have the MLB app for when I go to baseball games, I, I, I still collect all of the sporting events or music uh, concert tickets I go to, but I don't print them out now. I don't need eight and a half by 11s. Like that's just not, it's not the same character. Gosh, darn it. back in my day. Uh <laughs> I love that. You collect movie stuff. That's super yeah. random. Okay. Another yeah. fun fact about me. Okay. I once had a three hour conversation with a stripper and a conservative man. Um, those are two different people. Um, <laughs> Good to know. A stripper and a, a stripper, a female stripper and a conservative man in waffle house in North Carolina. And it was one of the most fascinating conversations I have ever had in my life. Uh, and uh, it was it was incredible. Okay, what was your biggest key takeaway? Biggest takeaway? I think I did not understand. And I think the country still doesn't understand. I think it took me a while. I don't know. This is when I started to think about it differently, was that sex work is real work. Um, right. And that, yeah. you know, making a living, doing what you got to do. There's no shame in it. Uh, it is uh, it is a choice. Um, they are protected. I think uh, right now, sex workers just, I think, got the opportunity to unionize in this country, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think it's a new thing, uh, which is great. Um, but just learning uh, the story of this woman uh, was fascinating. She was also someone who is a, a fellow student with me. Um, and uh, so she was a friend. I, I knew her before she was a stripper. Um, but uh, but it was just so fascinating to be able to have that conversation with her about what it's like and the people that she got to interact with behind the scenes, right? Um, And just hearing other stories and whatnot. I think that was one of the biggest takeaways uh, was about that industry um, that I definitely before, just because of popular opinion and, and, uh, and natural bias that has been taught to me by society uh, judged. So, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, this is a weird one, so prepare yourself. I'm here. 
Um, so I eat a lot of sunflower seeds. That probably could have just been the fact, actually. I could have <laughs> just said, I eat sunflower seeds like yeah. they're going out of style. Can you um, hang on? We're going to pause you right there. Because right, sunflower then. seeds, I am garbage at eating. Like I'm swallowing 50% of the shells. Um, like It's like, I don't understand people who can just like, I, had, I have a buddy of mine who's able to keep a stash in one and then he like brings one over, can like split it, gets yeah. a seed out thing. I mean, like, I don't, yeah. it's, it sounds like, uh, a, 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 a line, uh, whatchamacallit, it line that like J- Henry Ford would have been proud of, uh, but the way that this guy goes through <laughs> sunflower uh, seeds. Are you, are you proficient with your sunflower seeds? What is above proficient? Like, what do you think is like the next, like I'm Pro- an expert? Professional. Yeah. Expert. Whoa, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Professional. Oh, now she calls seed. herself an expert. Okay. Yeah. Christina. <laughs> In sunflower seeds. Oh, show. Um, yeah. I, if there I, I, I wouldn't be really great in many competitions, but a sunflower seed eating competition, I, yeah, I, mm. I think I could definitely compete with like MLB players for sure. Wow. For sure. Wow. Okay. There you go. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So please continue. So uh, thank you for letting me cut you off because uh, that's so, something I'm ashamed of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where we were at, James. What were we even talking about? You were you were going to tell me your fun story about eating sunflower seeds. Okay, let me think. Um, we were telling uh, things that people didn't know need they know need to know about us, but now yeah. we're grateful if they did. Okay, okay, yep, yep. I, I'm back. I'm with you. I'm here. Okay, great. Um, typically, when I eat sunflower seeds, I'm going to eat them on three on one side, one in the middle, and three on the other. So I, my favorite number is three or 21, both divisible by three. Um, and so a lot of small foods like that, but particularly sunflower seeds, I eat in threes. So you eat them in three. So what's your process? Tell me, I mean, you got three on three on one side, three on the other. Just tell, like, what is, what's going on here? Walk me through it. You're a professional. Tell me the deal. <laughs> okay. So I have a large bag. That's step one. I'm typically buying them by the two or three bags. And okay. the pound, the pound bags. Flavored or just au natural? Okay. Because of how quickly I eat them, the flavor tends to get messy. Um, so I have a bag. I grab a handful. I throw them in my mouth. I shift them to one side. Mm. And then I try to um, take off as much as the salt, uh, as much of the salt as I can, because my mouth is like completely raw by the end um, of a day. And then I move three over chew those, spit them out, put one in the middle, chew that, spit it out, and then put three on the other side, chew those and spit them out. And I do not chew the seeds. I think that's very detrimental to your health. So you don't chew the seeds or the, or the I, shells? I, I, don't, I don't ingest. Oh, sorry. The shells. <laughs> I was like, you're just like, you're just, just birding, just like yeah. gulping these like, like pills. Ah, no, take that. no, definitely not the shells. I think that's very detrimental to the internal organs. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I can't imagine that would be good. Yeah, I feel like your my esophagus would be ripped up. Um, <laughs> uh, incredible fun fact. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you first become passionate about sunflower seeds? Mm, well, it was definitely definitely college time maybe even sooner okay and all of these people who are messaging about my sunflower seeding eating is making me feel like 
it's not as much of a secret as I thought it was. I think it's backing um, up your professionalism and that's all yeah, you need to worry about. 100%. I ain't worried about it. I'm going to keep, <laughs> keep it on. Um, but probably sometime maybe high school, maybe college, but there was a time where for Christmas, which mm-hmm. to be clear, I don't really like to celebrate holidays anymore, but when I was a celebrating human, sure, my mom had filled probably a, a life-size um, stocking and it was full of bags of sunflower seeds, which I had probably finished in under a month. Um, so it was probably some time in wow. college. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, uh, this is passion right here. Yeah. yeah I respect it. I respect it. I mean, it. I definitely, I think one of them should hire me to definitely do their brand mm-hmm. or video cute little yeah. clip with sunflower seeds. Are you brand loyal? What's that one? Like Dave's what's the one called? Oh God. Those are so bad. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Yes. Let's get bougie about sunflower seeds real yes. quick, fam. Real quick with y'all. The red, white, and blue bag whatever the ones you're talking about so salt heavy not good mm. but dakotas in the yellow bag dakota <laughs> style that's what you're looking for you can typically pick it up at your local grocery mm. the walmarts or the target sometimes don't sell them okay but your local grocery should have them okay great mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. good to know uh i love everything about this moment uh <laughs> Um, that's incredible. Uh, so yeah, now, now do you clean up after your shells or are you like, are you leaving like solo cups all around and just like other people got to handle your stuff? Are you asking that? Because my mother is making, uh, comments. No, that's, it's kind of offensive that she said that actually. Um, (laughs) so I typically, I wish my cup was in here. I typically have a large cup that I spit them into. Yeah. Um, I always clean up after myself, but I live alone. So yeah, my cup's just sitting in my house. Of course. Like, what do you mean? Um, so yeah, uh, no, I don't, she, well, what she would say is I'm, I dump a cup probably several times a day because I'm eating so many. So let me be clear. I, I, I backed off of sunflower seeds because my doctor was like, sis, you're not going to be well if you keep eating these seeds. And I said, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. My like, whatever that's called was really high. It wasn't good. And so for years, I probably really kind of stopped eating them. But more recently, now that I have a full-time job and mm-hmm. a side business, um, they help me focus. Yeah. Um, and so I eat them more regularly now, but I do like a couple of bags and then I give myself mm-hmm. a week off yeah. and then I do a couple more bags. I don't think you knew that half of this episode was going to be about some seeds. I don't think you were prepared for that. I didn't but I am so happy about it. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that you're uh, making sure your vitamin C levels are high. <laughs> oh, all right. Y'all that's the end of the show. And on a high note, I'm Jordan out here. I don't care. All right. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, that was incredible. I mean, you know, I mean, you've seen me speak before. I start all of my speeches off with food quirks. Like I love people's food quirks. And this is such a delightful one that I did not know about you. Apparently I'm one of the later ones to learn, but doesn't matter. Uh, and I'm here. I'm here for all of this right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you get to be on video calls with me regularly, you're going to learn that I eat seeds. So you're out here. That's you're why all these people are saying that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, apparently. Apparently. Uh, well, happy to be uh, late to the party, but still here and looking good, if you know what I mean. Uh, so uh, that's what's up. That's what's up. Um, so um, so here's a question. What are what I mean, you talk. We, obviously, we got your your, mo- your mother's listening right now, which is always special. Um, what were you like as a child? What what was what was young Christina like knowing knowing where we are right now? We talked about the anger phase and stuff like that. Like what's what was a young Christina like? <clears throat> what age are we talking about? Let's go middle school just oh, to pick a right. random one. You can start earlier or later if you'd like. Uh, angry. Um, mouthy, not much different. Than I am right now. <laughs> All right, great. Well, that was uh, yeah. easy. <laughs> wrap that up, put a bow on it. Pretty much how it was. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I was angsty as fuck. I mean, honestly, like yeah. I just, I mean, I always had been. And my mom, I, I actually said to somebody the other day that uh, my mom's the greatest gift to my life, right? Um, but she let me live my life, like. Um, my mom was very good at doing the, uh, you're disappointing me without saying that she actually, that I actually disappointed her. So uh, she was a talker. She talked me through everything. It wasn't like there was some big, huge trouble screaming. My mom was the type to be like, and so what did you do wrong? And why is that bad? Right? Like she was just like, uh, like she was just going to talk you through everything. And so um, I think for real, like I was just, I was angry and she allowed me to be, and I can only credit her in a lot of ways to why I, why and where I am now. Um, so yeah. 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 It's interesting that after you talk about the importance of getting through your anger phase, right. Mm-hmm. And cause on the other, on the other side of your anger phase is where learning and listening happens, which, which, which happily dance together and need to. Um, so did your would you credit your mother with teaching you how to listen, even though you weren't, even though you didn't take the lesson or take the pills for a handful of years? Um, I don't know. My mom, uh, my mom's a good listener, yeah. um, but I think that's the way that I do it is probably something that I had to learn a little bit on my own. Because um, my mom is like me. Uh, she's probably a little bit more fiery even than I am in some ways. Um, a lot more hardcore and able to do just about anything in the world. Um, but yeah, I think I had to learn a lot of that in my own, in my own way. Um, but I think most everything else is pretty much her. So, (laughs) yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's no, I'm glad, I'm glad you corrected me. Um, uh, and and, no, I really appreciate that. So, uh, it's so interesting where we learn a lot of our lessons um, and where a lot of that stuff comes from. And, and the ability to let people process um, is super powerful as opposed to, and as opposed to being like, look over here instead. Oh, Hey, right. Instead it's like, no, let's, let's sit in it for a minute. Um, and that is a skill that takes a while because that is, that's committing to the long game, right. Mm-hmm. Instead of the short, like, Here's an iPad. Shut up. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, or something like that, which is no shame. If every once in a while, a parent needs to give a kid an iPad. I respect it. You do yeah. what you got to do in these streets, but, yeah. uh, but still uh, that idea of committing to uh, committing to the learning and committing to making you name what you're feeling is powerful. 
Um, because during such an ambiguous time of growing up, to be able to have some clarity or be able to like, no, this is how I'm feeling, mm-hmm. um, to be able to name those things, I think is really important. I was not able to name what it felt like to feel angry until I was like 32. Like at 32 is when I feel like I felt anger for the first time. Um, And uh, because I didn't know it, Um, I didn't know it or I I never named it. I never thought about it. Uh, It wasn't until like I went through, like I actually started doing some meditating and that's when like it kind of came up and all of that. And it was really important when I felt it. Um, But uh but yeah, I think that's that's super powerful that those moments happened for you. Absolutely. I mean, I I would credit it for why I am probably a pretty self-aware person. Um that I had a lot of external dialogue, I think which taught me how, how to have internal dialogue with myself and um taught me how to process stuff a lot more and better um in a lot of ways and and accountability so right i I do a lot of diversity equity and inclusion work but accountability is like my passion area um in addition to uh and i think that you have to be able to dialogue um in order to hold people accountable um and for them to learn from that Mm -hmm. so i think that's so wildly important yeah yeah, for sure. What is, I mean, what is it about accountability that, I mean, is that why you teach what you teach? Is it, does it come back to like self accountability or like where, like, when did that become an important word in your life? Well, the concept uh, has been forever. I've had a really strange kind of trajectory. Uh, you know, I always wanted to be a police officer, which in 2020, I'm very thankful. And in many other years, I'm thankful I didn't become a police officer um, for a lot of reasons. Um, so I wanted to be a police officer growing up. Um, and so I went to school for criminal justice. And so the concept of accountability has always been a part of who I am. But when I was 18, I took an intro to criminal justice class and the teacher said, you either have to go on a ride along or you have to, I think, shadow like an attorney or something of that nature. And so I went on a ride along, right? Like that's what I wanted to do. And so I went on a ride along with KCPD, which is um, for those who are on and don't know much about Kansas City, Kansas City is a a pretty high crime um, city. Um, And so I was, we were in not really the inner city, but a little bit out South. And we went on a shoplifting call at the local Kmart. Um, And so they were like, oh, you can get out. We're here all the time. Like this is a regular place. I'm like, okay, great. (laughs) What's happening? Um, And so we get in there and um, gosh. And so we're watching kind of what's going on. And the manager says, we're we're chit-chatting, talking up, whatever. And he's like, hey, do you want a job? And I was like, no, like I'm in college. I go to school 45 minutes away from here. Absolutely not. And two weeks later, I was a loss prevention agent <laughs> um, catching shoplifters at Kmart. And I caught shoplifters for about three years. Um, and probably that experience uh, is a lot of why I'm able to give people grace in the diversity, equity and inclusion space, because I saw and probably even did things that were rooted in a lot of terrible, horrible stuff about people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, either way, accountability was a part of my life from the jump, it feels like, especially yeah. in my adulthood. Uh, and then I wanted to be an attorney. And then I sat 
in front of a speaker, and this is probably why speaking is so incredibly important to me, but he said, you have to have a vision. You have to have a purpose. Um, and I thought, wow, being an attorney is not that. Mm-hmm. And I was stupid involved on campus. And so I learned like everybody else. I'm, I'm a fir- I was a first generation college student. So I learned like yeah. everybody else, the higher ed was a job and I could work with students and whatever. And then I went off to grad school and I worked in student conduct. That was my uh, mm-hmm. graduate assistantship. Um, and so accountability is uh, is what holds me together, holding myself accountable, holding others accountable, encouraging others to hold others accountable and themselves accountable. Um, And so it's definitely the fabric of who I am for sure. And I think um, you can't do diversity, equity, and inclusion right without accountability. So. Yeah. I completely agree with you. First off, fascinating story had no idea uh such a cool job uh to randomly learn about um and you said such a powerful word and i want to come back to it and that's grace um because you saw a whole lot in that job right and there's a whole bunch of different individuals that were stealing for whatever uh reasons that they were stealing for um and uh and so uh in developing grace in those moments, I mean, how did you, to go from someone who is, I don't know, before that, were you more of a black and white thinker? Like, did you know about the gray areas? Um, like in, in going into law enforcement, were you like, hey, I know this is going to be a nuanced field and I'm excited to bring some nuance to it? Or were you like, I'm excited to kind of just like make sure individuals know that they need to be held accountable to the laws that have been written? Like, yeah. where, like what was that like for you? I mean, the... the James, I can't explain enough that the Christina that was 18 is wildly, wildly different than 28-year-old Christina who's here with you right now. Like, And part of it is because I was raised, for better or for worse, um, in a really whitewashed world, right? Mm -hmm. And, And this isn't anybody's fault, but I was raised mostly by white folks. And even my stepfather, who's St. Lucian and Trinidadian, is darker than me, but um, he's an immigrant to this country. And so a lot of immigrants assimilate to this country. And so I was raised, my my K through 12 experience was very white. My collegiate experience was very white. Like that has just been my experience. And so black and white was all I really knew until I was probably a junior in college. And before being a junior in college, isms were a one-off they weren't systemic they weren't things that were impacting the way everybody lived i heard a lot growing up you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and and my stepfather would say that often you know like well you know i came to this country at 20 years old and i had the same opportunities as everybody else now he probably wouldn't say that today Um, a lot has changed since then um but that's that was the life i grew up in and so accountability was very black and white for me. Um, there wasn't this sense of, well, they're stealing because they need it. Mm. Um, do, do I acknowledge that and understand that 100% now? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Did 18, 19, 20-year-old Christina who was catching shoplifters understand that? No. Yeah. Um, and so absolutely, I've, I've changed wildly um, and rapidly, it feels like. So, yeah. Yeah. Was there something that happened that caused you to learn the word grace in that space? 
Oh, um, was there, was there, a, I don't know if it may, it may not have been at that job. Maybe you learned grace after that job, right? Like you said, big difference between 18 and 28 year old Christina. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, when did the concept of grace come into your, into your life and into the way that you decided to impact and teach others? Probably after grad school, probably after I spent two years being pissed off, you know, after I spent a long time arguing with folks. Um, I think I learned that like, oh, Christina, did you forget who you were at 18? Did you forget the things that you've said and done, the shitty things that you've done to people intentionally, unintentionally, knowingly, unknowingly? Um, We have to remind ourselves uh, that and I talk about this, right? Like you have to give people grace. Because at some point in your life, somebody was giving you grace, mm-hmm. whether you knew it or not, right? Uh, so that's the reality is a lot of us are having an awakening right now. And for those of us who have just arrived six weeks ago, two months ago, three months ago, somebody was giving you grace. I can mm-hmm. promise you that, right? And so whether they loved you or just came in contact with you. And so grace is so wildly important um, particularly in the cancel culture that we're living in right now. Um, Say it again. So, yeah, it, it, I, I, I talk about this often, but I think cancel culture is probably one of the most unhealthy things going on right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that. Christina, what an amazing series of facts to learn about you as we wrap up this call uh, from sunflower seeds to language uh, to accountability uh, to grace. it is just so special to get to hang out with you. Um, and what I'd love to do is I'd love to do a Q and a Q&A with you. If people have questions, I'd love for them to throw it in the chat. Um, and so please, if you all have questions for Christina, please put them in there. Um, and, uh, but if you all are listening on the podcast, I can't thank you enough for tuning in to Diner Talks with James. New episode drops every week as soon as, well, by the time this one comes out, that'll be true. Um, but, uh, but I'm super excited uh, for you. Please make sure that you like and subscribe uh, to the, to the show that just helps other people get to learn about it and get into the diner with us. Um, so my friends, Christina, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate everybody coming out. I hope more people watch. And if anybody wants to connect with me, please do. I'm always happy to continue the conversation. So. Hell yes. And podcast listener, podcast listeners, those, all the information for how to reach out to her will be in the show notes. Um, podcasters, thanks for listening. As always, if you want to hear the Q&A with Christina, please type in my name, James Herbalata, on YouTube and feel free to find this episode so you can learn more uh, from her. But appreciate you. Until next time, we'll catch you all later on the podcast. Be well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. (laughs) If you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now, you're going to make me blush. (laughs) Also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. 
My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.